Hey, it's great to be here with you guys, and uh, always good to be with the best-looking pastor in our whole fellowship. I wish I had hair like him and a beard like him, and um, he's just cool, and his shoes are pretty cool, too. Um, so, so I just got back from California, and then I just uh, had gotten back from the Gambia, Africa, and uh, I, I just want to say what is God doing through Breathe Partners, and I want you to hear what I say through the lens of he's doing through Breathe Partners because of partnership with people like you. And so the fruit of our labor really is your fruit, because apart from what you guys are doing and the, the generosity and the sacrifices that you make to put people like me on the ground, um, really does make a difference. So I want to share with you some of that fruit, and I want you to own it, okay? This is what God has done through your acts of love and acts of generosity, and I really believe that. And it's so good to have, by the way, a kindred spirit. Um, just met our friends back there from, from Haiti. We're, we're both in Haiti, but we have no idea who each other are, but we're going to now. And uh, so that was a catalyst that uh, God allowed you guys to have as well. And who knows where that's going to go, right? So um, what's going on in, in, in Haiti? Uh, so we went out uh, to really help in the earthquake days. Some of you might remember uh, my background was uh, um, as a local pastor, I got really connected to the Red Cross and uh, served at 9-11 and then ran about $100 million of the operation for Katrina. Um, for the Red Cross, and then Haiti's earthquake hit, and uh, I wanted to go over there, and I was scheduled to go over there with Rick Warren and Convoy of Hope, and the second earthquake hit, and so that kind of delayed that, and it was kind of a God thing to put us into a different track to assess church health so that we could set the church up to win rather than um, external NGOs um, that weren't really connected to the local church. My heart and passion, of course, is the local church. And so we went out to set up an indigenous, healthy, local church network. Um, everybody knows Haiti, unfortunately, is, is the land of NGOs. Um, 10,000 NGOs in Haiti. Um, and you can pray for Haiti right now. Um, my organization had to be evacuated. Their organization had to be evacuated in February. Um, the unrest there is real. Uh, and uh, um, God's work is, is thriving because of some of the work of our brothers and sisters who have done so um, good of a job at connecting local pastors. So, I, you know, numbers have become less and less important to me. Um, in these last days of my life, um, better is better. And so I was really encouraged to hear even the survey that you're taking. One of the things that we did um, three years into our, our ministry in Haiti is we stopped everything that we were doing so that we could get better. Um, and we did the same thing that you guys are doing right now. We just took a step back, shut up, <laughs> and started listening. Um, what is God saying? What is God doing? Um, and then we really wanted to set up a network of churches that were healthy. And we didn't want to focus in on the numbers anymore. I'll throw a couple numbers at you, but I don't want you to hear the numbers. I want, to hear, I want you to hear God's movement. Um, so what we're working cur currently with, um, with four churches specifically. We've got 21 churches that we have worked with and started over the last eight years. <coughs> um, but... Uh, one of the other things that we did is we're working on a countrywide movement, and so um, we also began to work. We're in the Port-au-Prince area. We began to work with the, the Cap Haitian group, 
Um, and so our group is called Breathe Partners. Theirs, theirs is called the Caribbean Vision Ministries. And, and now we have a southern group, potentially. And, and so we created a, a bigger umbrella um, that other groups could buy into. So it wasn't like, this is my group, this is my territory, this is my turf, and don't you dare, you know, kind of a thing. And so we created this umbrella of grace called Karis, Haiti. And, um, and, and there's 81 churches that came together um, and formed a group. Um, and it was completely Haitian um, uh, leadership. There's not one American voice sitting on that um, on that team. And uh, to me, that's a picture of health. We want to see Haiti become healthy and less dependent upon resources and more interested in church health. So that's how you can pray for Haiti. Continue to pray for church health. Our organization made a decision um, to actually extract all 10 of our staff, American staff, and we feel like mission accomplished in Haiti. Mission accomplished means um, missionaries living in Haiti from America, not our church to church partnership. So we have lots of churches that are connected to these churches that they're going on trips and they're serving and coaching and leading. And now my role um, is working with a nationwide movement to bring a nationwide movement of peace um, peace is just the five global giants of, of, of problems of the world. Um, I'm working with Saddleback Church and Rick Warren, um, not just in Haiti, um, but also in Africa now, the Gambia. And so as you support me, um, you're, you're now supporting a nationwide movement where we're going to be now not just church planting, but working on a church health paradigm in country nationwide movements targeting the three-legged stool of the government, the, um, the public sector, the private sector, and the faith sector because we think we need all three of those to come together to really see a nationwide movement come together. So that's kind of what we're doing in Haiti. That's what I'm doing in the Gambia. Of course, we're doing it in Philadelphia as well. Some of you got to serve uh, at, um, in Philadelphia at Urban Hope and then also uh, the Convoy of Hope. My son um, was responsible for putting all the churches together. Um, for serving in that area, and uh, we just got back from Saddleback, and he and his uh, his partner, his um, his Timothy, he's pretty young, Timothy himself. My 25 year old son is mentoring a 20 year old young man, and together they're going to be planting a church in Philadelphia. So you can pray for us as we um, do that. Our Breathe Partner School of Ministry is the coolest thing that that we've got going. Nobody's doing what we're doing that we know of anywhere in the world. And uh, so what we're doing is we're now um, creating this, this new idea because college education is just a little bit too expensive in my estimation. And if a young person is really ministry or mission meant, and that's the space that they're going to live in, we wanted to create an environment where we could give them an affordable education. They could come out of high school if they're going to be ministry and mission bent, and they could join our team. They could raise mission support, pay for their education, get field um, ready so we can we can place them in internships in the local church in urban centers or in missions around the world um, so long as they're willing to um, have the capability to service a kid um, we can put them there we will do their distance learning it's an accredited degree they'll get a bachelor of science in ministry four other ones but let's just call it bachelor of science and uh, they can also get in their senior year an accelerated master of arts in organizational leadership these are accredited degrees um, and uh, the cost is really um, affordable in my opinion um, the cost is twelve thousand nine hundred and fifty dollars a year um, and uh, that's a pretty good 
education for an accredited degree while getting ministry and being able to raise it as mission support. Um, we need to get people, young people on the ground and have to believe in young leaders. So you're investing in young leaders. That's what I get to spend my time doing. Uh, so thanks for supporting me. Um, let's just get into the word. So you're in 1 Corinthians. Go to 13. So I'm a t-shirt guy, but I'm a t-shirt snob. Okay, you can't just be a t-shirt. It's got to be it's got to be the right blend of materials for me to wear it. You know, I'll, I'll do, you, you know, I'll wear, if you bought the cheap shirt, I'll wear it while I'm in your presence the first time and then probably giving it away because I'm a t-shirt snob. You know, it's got to be the right blend. It's got to be soft. It's got, you know, it's got to be that shirt. You know, so, so I, I like t-shirts. Uh, I got way too many t-shirts. I, I think I like give away 20 t-shirts every year to people. They're in great shape, but I'm a t-shirt snob, and I need the newest, latest, and greatest cool t-shirt. And so one of my favorite shirts that I ever saw, it, it had this on it, and it was like, ah, that's really good. I really, really like the simplicity of what that says. And I think sometimes we get this whole book so complicated. Um, it, there's so much stuff. There's so much learning in it, and we forget the simple. Here's the simple, and here was the shirt. Love God, love people in that order. What if we got back to that? What if we got back just to that? Love God, love people in that order. It'd be a much better day, don't you think? I mean, our theology, you know, it, we, we've made, we, we've elevated, you know, all kinds of biblical truth and everything else over and above probably the most important and yet simple biblical truth. One of my favorite Danisms. Um, you know, if, if you've been in ministry or leadership long enough, you'll have isms, right? Um, they, little clauses, little things that become you. Everybody knows me as isms. I've got lots of them. I've got too many of them. Uh, where faith and fun come together. That would be an ism. That would be one of my faves. But this is my favorite one. He who loves first wins. Just think about that. Hold that thought in your mind and, and think about it. Meditate on it all week long. He who loves first wins. We can become a little callous to the fact that there are people around us who are hurting, right? Who need love, who need care, who need concern. Prosperity is, oh, you're, you're serving in Haiti, those poor people. Oh, you're in Philadelphia, in, in Kensington, well, oh, those poor people. But I would suggest to us this morning that prosperity is always a little bit more dangerous than adver in adversity and, um, for, for your soul. Prosperity is more dangerous than being poor when it comes to love. When you're in good times, when things are going well, we tend to think I'm invincible, like America before September 11th. Who's going to touch us? We're the United States of America. Nobody can touch us. Nobody's going to come onto our soil and do what they did. But they did it, didn't they? We take for granted the things that are happening in our lives, that they're always going to be good. Life is good. Life is good. Life is good. Life is always going to be good. And then something happens, and life's not that good anymore. And that's the way life is. And then a September 11th comes into your space, into your family, into your church, and it rocks your world. When everything was going smooth, all of a sudden, now it's not so smooth. And what do you do in the middle of that difficulty, that adversity, that challenge? All of a sudden, we start focusing a little bit more on people rather than the stuff that we've focused on for too long. We start focusing a little bit more on the things that matter most. And tragedies, unfortunately, circumstances that 
disrupt our world are often the wake-up call to realize, to help us realize what matters most in life. Jesus told a little story about this. We'll start in Luke 12. We're going to get to 1 Corinthians 13. Luke 12, Jesus says, There was a rich man whose lands produced bountiful harvest. He asked himself, What should I do? I don't have enough space for all my goods. Sounds like America. So what do we do? We do the same thing this guy did. We build mini storage. God's blessing him so much he doesn't know what to do with all of his blessing. And he says, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger barns. Then I'll say to myself, I have so many good things stored up for me. Now rest, eat, drink, and be merry. Sounds like the Old Testament, right? Maybe we don't learn. But God says, you fool. That's not a good comment, by the way. This night your life will be demanded of you, and then to whom will all your things belong? Thus will it be for anyone who stores up treasure for himself, but is not rich in what matters most to God. What matters most to God? We become a society that's experience rich and material rich, but relationally poor. We're experience rich. Hey, how are you? Busy. What are you doing? Ah, taking my kid to piano lessons, then soccer, then gym, then this, then that, then, and we're busy, right? We're experience rich, but relationally poor. This guy only thought of himself. That's That's all that mattered. It didn't occur to him that maybe God was blessing him in order that he might become a blessing to somebody else. He never thought on it. Uh, of, 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 he spent more money building bigger barns so that he could add more stuff. He could have just sold the stuff, saved the money that he used to build bigger barns, and given a whole lot of money away to some very needy and necessary organizations who are doing something. Could have started a church. God says you're missing out on what matters most. So, what does matter most to God? If he's missing out on what matters most, what matters most to God? The Bible tells us. God's kind of, he's, he's, he's on this. So he helps us in Galatians 5, verse 6. This is what he says. I, I love it. You can't get any more succinct. And there it is than this. Galatians 5, 6, the only thing. The what? Only. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts is when our faith is expressing itself through love. God says what matters most in your life is not your accomplishments, not your achievements, not your fame, not your wealth. All that matters is your faith Expressing itself in the way in which you love other people. Love other people that are like you? That's easy, Jesus said. What about loving people who aren't like you? Who don't think like you? That don't have the same ideology as you? Who don't wear the same label? Who aren't part of the same denomination or fellowship? The six other really strong communities, faith communities in Waynesboro. I love that you're doing some things together. I love what you're doing in your, 
in, in your elementary school with the bikes and the, the mentoring. And, and, and I love that you're sharing that now with another faith community in your community. That says to your community that, wow, they do get along together. They're not in competition. I want you to understand the most important thing in life is love. Your relationships are what matters most. This includes people that know Jesus and people that don't know Jesus. Do you really expect, by the way, people that don't know Jesus to live like Jesus? And yet we get all up in arms about them because they're not acting right. Well, you do know Jesus and you're not acting right. Isn't that a journey? Because when you gave your life to Christ, everything became pure in your life, right? You struggle no more. Not. Love is important, and it's by our love one for another that the world will come to know Jesus. So, 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to fly down and give you just a few points that I hope you'll in a way that will make you remember, and then we're going to define it because we're going to say, here's what the Bible says about living a life of love, but then we're going to find ourselves, okay, but then what is love? And that's my whole goal this morning, okay? How do we need to live our lives by loving others? And how do we then define love? So let's dive in. Verse 1. If I don't live a life of love, nothing I say will matter. Doesn't matter. If you don't love, nothing you say it, it will matter. Everybody's going to hear Charlie Brown. Wah, 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 wah. In fact, at some point, they're just going to say, shut up. Put up or shut up. I hear you talk about loving others, but you don't do it. And that gives you a great voice, right? No, it doesn't. Verse 1, if I could speak in any language in heaven or on earth, but I didn't love others, I would only be making meaningless noise like a loud gong or a clanging cymbal. God says words without love are just noise. Words without love, they're empty. We're really impressed, right, by great speakers, great communicators. Um, we love eloquence. We love charisma. We love to hear somebody really stir us and, and, and just rattle us to our core. And God says, doesn't impress me any. Really. Because it's not about that. I don't care how good of a communicator you are. I want to know if you love. Do you love people? Do you unconditionally love people? Because living a life without love means nothing I say will matter. Number two, if I don't live a life of love, nothing I know will matter. You might be the most knowledgeable church about all things God. But who cares if you don't love? And I didn't say that, by the way. I may have the gift of prophecy. I may understand all the secret things of God. I may have all knowledge. But if I do not love, then I am nothing. You might be the valedictorian. You might have just graduated. Good for you. Maybe you graduated a long time ago and you were the valedictorian. Not me. I was 2.77. 
I was 27 out of a class of 28. Okay? Um, <laughs> that wasn't my claim to fame. Uh, you might have an IQ off the charts, right? You might be a genius, a brilliant person. You might be a walking Bible encyclopedia, have incredible knowledge of science or math or whatever it is that you're amazing at. But if you don't live a life of love, all that you know is worthless. It doesn't matter. Because brilliance without love equals zero. See, we live in a world where, this is crazy, by the way, the world in which we live, the technology age. I'm, I'm partly writing a book with my younger son called Leading Younger. And we're talking about how, you know, we went from an agricultural area into the industrial area, and now it's shifting back, and all of us baby boomers and maybe even older millennials, we're going we're gonna to be nothing in the next age. This younger generation is going to own the world because they're going to understand things that we have no clue on. What I mean is knowledge is exploding at the rate of doubling every six years. Think of all of the information that we have learned from the beginning of history until right now. That much more information is going to be available in the next six years because of technology. And they're writing code, and they understand the Internet better than us, and they're going to be putting us out of a job. See, in the transition from agricultural to industrialization, we created the term adolescence because we didn't know what to do with that demographic. And now they're going to be putting us out on the road. Because they're going to understand the way the world works. We just think we understand. And by the way, they care a little bit more about people than my generation. Relationships matter more to this generation. ROI matters to me. Return on investment. They're going, but I had six people in a cafe. And I'm going, did you bring any money in? And they're going, well, I built a relationship. I know it's good, but can you get some ROI? Um, you know, and it's hard, right? So third, if I don't live a life of love, nothing I believe will matter. You didn't expect to hear that coming to church. Again, I didn't say that either. There's a myth that being a Christian, being a follower of Christ is just a matter of believing certain truths. And that is not true. It's not true. Nothing can be further from the truth. Following Christ is much more than believing intellectual facts about God or about his word. We all know James, right? James says, even the devil believes and trembles. He's certainly not going to be in heaven. He believes. It's not just a belief system. Even if I have the gift of faith so that I can speak to a mountain and make it move, that's faith. I will still be worth nothing at all without love. It takes more than belief to please God. you got to be like God, who is love. You say, wait a minute, I believe in Jesus. Well, so does Satan. The devil believes there's a God. The devil believes Jesus is the Son of God, but you won't find him in heaven. Why? Because it takes more than believing in Christ to make it to heaven. It sounds a little weird for right now, but go with me. I understand 
that our faith is by grace alone through faith. Okay, I'm not saying that that's not true. But I think that we've whitewashed faith into something that God never intended it to be. The Bible says, if I say I love God and hate other people, I'm a liar. And that truth is not even in me. What I really was describing to was a golden ticket to heaven so that I could be saved, so that I could be secure, and now I can say to hell to everybody else. I'll live my life the way that I want to. I got my ticket. I'm going to heaven. And that's all that matters. And that's loving, isn't it? The Bible says I can't say that I'm right with God and be out of sorts with other people. Relationships with others affects my, re my, my relationship with God. And if I don't live a life of love, nothing I believe will matter. That's pretty profound. Because our love for one another is what draws people to Jesus. Our faith or our love. Number four, if I don't live a life of love, nothing I give will matter. Now, we want you to give. But not at the expense of loving. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, but I didn't love others, I would be of no value whatsoever. Can you be in a relationship and give for selfish motive? Can you? I do it quite often, probably. I don't intend to do that. It's not always intentional, but sometimes it's just the way it is, right? I'm giving for a selfish motive, right? You can do that. Giving is not necessarily always loving. Some people give in order to get back. I'm giving you this, but it's kind of like a tit-for-tat environment, right? You know, I'm giving you this, now you give me something. Because that's how life works. That's called selfishness, by the way. Some people give out of guilt. Trying to make up for something they did in the past. Most kids today have two sets of parents. And so what do their parents do to buy their kids love? Give them stuff. Right? Out of guilt. So you can give stuff. Some people give for prestige, for glory, for a little plaque on the wall. For a building to be named after them. That's not love. You can give for lots of wrong motives, and the Bible says that if I'm not doing this in love, none of my giving counts, and nothing I give will matter in eternity. I don't understand. I've bought my wife everything she could ever want. She's leaving me. I said, well, did you love her? Did you love her? Love is an action. You can't just buy your wife. She's got a big rock on her hand. Well, that's nice. That's not love. A lot of parents are trying to compensate for their lack of time. They don't need more stuff. They need your time. They need your, 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 your life, your presence in front of them. They don't need things. They need time and they need your love. Last thing, then we'll move into what is it then? If I don't live a life of love, nothing I accomplish will matter. The message, I love this paraphrase on, on this particular part. It says, no matter what I say or what I believe or what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. That covers it all, by the way, right? No matter what I 
say, what I believe, or what I do. I'm bankrupt without love. You can rack up an, an incredible list of personal achievements. Your resume could be amazing. It doesn't matter. You might get on, you know, whatever the picture of any magazine, if anybody's even reading print media anymore. You might become really popular. You might win the Nobel Pr Peace Prize. But at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're a successful business person. You might be able to, on this planet, build a multi-billion dollar company and have incredible success in your area of expertise. But the Bible says it isn't worth squat if you don't know how to love others. Just look at all the one another's in, in the pages of Scripture. Serve one another, love one another. That's what we need to be about is these one anotherings. One day we're going to stand before God. God's going to evaluate your life. And he's not going to look at your bank account. He's not going to look at your list of accomplishments. He's not going to look at your resume. He's certainly not going to look at your trophy wall. You don't even look at your trophy wall after a while. Because the truth of the matter is, you, you know, the reality is, you know, I used to be an athlete. <laughs> now I try. I played a little semi-pro soccer. I got all the trophies. I was a state wrestler. I was a state soccer player. And it's not long before you go from hero to zero. Somebody's going to break your record at some point in life. And there's always people vying for who's the, who's the goat, who's the greatest of all time. It is LeBron. It's not. But that's because I'm from Cleveland. Okay, it has nothing to do because at the end of the day, somebody's going to be better than LeBron, who is better than Jordan. Somebody's going to be better than Pele. Somebody one day is going to be better than Messi. We don't strive to be the best. We strive to love others because that will be the mark that leaves a legacy. See, the Bible is very clear that love is the primary objective of life and love is the supremacy of life. Love is the greatest power in your life. And if love is that powerful, if it's the primary objective in all of life, if it's the supreme value of life, love, if it's what matters most in life, then what in the world is it? At the end of the day, we know that God is love. Without a doubt, love is the most overused word in all of the English language, right? I love my wife, I love God, and I love hamburgers. In what value? In what order? Even when God was asked, of all of the commandments, what's the greatest? He couldn't nail it down to one. He said two. Love God. Love me with all your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people in that order. Because that's what values, that's what God values. So what is it? The Bible says, number one, love is a command. 
God commands that we love each other. It's not an option. But I don't like him. It's okay. God didn't command you to like everybody. There's lots of people I don't like. I'm not giving permission to, you know, toy with that. Okay? Try to love everybody. Try to like everybody. The more people that you can like, the, the, the further you're going to get along, uh, along in life. We just have to lower our standards in terms of who we're looking at. Because let's face it, if they were only just like us, life would be so much better. Like your life is all of, all of that. Like you have figured it out. If everybody could just be like you, life would be so much better. The problem is you're a knucklehead. And then we'd have bigger knuckleheads. I'm a knucklehead. It just depends on what we're talking about. I've got my preferences. I've got my passions. My preferences and my passions, my styles are not like yours. I've always been my own person. If I wasn't in church this morning, I would not look like I look right now. Um, uh, trust me. I hate, <laughs> I hate clothes. I, I mean, I just, I just don't, I, don't <laughs> um, I should just go be a missionary in Africa. Um, but I, I mean, I, and, and I, uh, I do things that people don't think I should do. Can you still love me? If I was wearing a short sleeve shirt, my, my left arm would be all tatted up. And therefore, I don't love Jesus in some of your minds. Really? But you didn't know that until right now. And you're going, oh, that guy, he's done this and he's done that. And he's such a, he's, uh, I like what he's saying. And he's got such charisma. And, I, and he started a church and he did all these things. And then you see that thing, the one thing that doesn't jive with your thing. And now I'm a bad guy. We're so quick to to you know, just write people off, aren't we? And so it's a command. I ha you have to love me. Sorry. You have to if you're a Christian. And by the way, that's a have to. And the Bible is very clear. We already talked about it, right? You can't say you love God and hate me and not love me and say you're a Christian. You're a liar and the truth is not in you. It's not possible. Whatever faith you bought into isn't the right faith. I didn't say that. The Bible says it. Second John, love means doing what God has commanded. He has commanded us to love one another. Somebody said, I can't, I can live without love. I don't need love. I don't need anybody. No, you can't. You can exist without love. But you can't live without love. We were created to be loved, and we were created to love. I love one of your values in small groups. You need to be connected to a small group. Why? Because you need to be loved. And somebody needs your love. Living in isolation is the worst thing for you as an individual, as a family. Even as a community. Love's not a feeling. It creates feelings. It produces feelings. Love causes feelings. But love is not an emotion. If you think it is, you've got a very shallow understanding of what love is. Love is so deep. And love in its perfect form, all three forms of even eros, which we've perverted. Eros is just an intimate love. To a brotherly love, phileo. 
to an agape love where I can look at you and even though there are things that just really drive me nuts about you or you can fail me over and over and over again, I can love you with the unconditional love like Jesus loves me. Because let's face it, God demonstrated his love to us in that while we were yet sinners, he died for us when we didn't have it all together, when we were a bunch of knuckleheads living in sin, that's when he demonstrated his love, not when we got our act together. And if, if, if the whole book of Hosea can be written about this harlot and, 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 and this, this, you know, I'm, I'm basically, you know, violating God in this relationship, in this, this, this marriage relationship, if you will, in metaphor, and, and I'm constantly not faithful to God. I am not faithful to God a lot. How about you? And yet God loves me unconditionally, even in those moments. When my fist is shaking in the face of God saying, I know what you said, but I want to go this way. You do that ever? I want you to know if you've done that, God loves you right where you are at. And he's more concerned about where you're going than where you have been. There's always hope in the body of Christ. Number two, the Bible says love is a choice. We choose to love. We choose not to love. It's a choice. Let's just be real clear about that. This is what 1 Corinthians 14, next chapter says. Go after a life of love as if your life depends on it because it does. Love is a choice. And we choose to love and we choose not to love. It kind of destroys the myth that we have about love, right? We think love is un, you know, uncontrollable as if one day I'm just walking along and I stumble across it. I fall into love. We don't fall into love. We choose to love. And we choose to not love. I can't tell you how many times I've been, um, you know, talking to either men or women and they're saying, trying to, you know, justify their, their, their divorce. I just don't love them anymore. I just don't love her anymore. As if that's totally out of your control. Just be real. I can deal with the fact that you don't want to live with them anymore and that you, 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 you've made a choice not to do so. I, I, I'm not going to agree with that. But I can at least understand that. But I don't understand this, this you know, Come on, take ownership. You made that choice. And there will be consequences to your choice. God's best is for you to do it the way he intended it. And that's to be together forever. Because when you entered into that covenant, when you made that choice to get married, the essence of love is commitment. Love boiled down to one word is just commitment. I'm choosing to be committed to you for the rest of my life in sickness and in health for richer or for poorer when you're a knucklehead or not I'm there any of you ever got up in the middle of the night with a kid that was sick that's love especially if he's puking that's real love Any of you ever been kind and patient with your mate when they were grumpy or grouchy? That's love. One guy was asked, do you, do you wake up grumpy in the morning? He said, no, I usually let her sleep in. 
Um, love is giving the person what they need, not what they deserve. Third thing, the Bible says that love is a, a conduct. It's a behavior. It's an action. We know this. But this is what the Bible says, 1 John three eighteen. Let us stop saying we love one another. Let us just stop saying we love people. Let us really love them and show it by our actions. See, God knew something. It's easy to say something, right? But show it by your actions. Love is not something you feel. Love is something you say. Love is something that you do. So I'm a pastor, right? I'm counseling people, and a guy comes into my office. He says, you know, my girlfriend, he's like, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm just so in love with her and everything else, and, and I'm always telling her, you know, how much I love her, man. I would do anything for you. I'd die for you and, and everything else. And, and then, you know, conflict starts happening in this marriage relationship, and, 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 and he tells me this again, man, I'd do anything for her. I, I, I tell her all the time I'd die for her, and, and she finally stops him and says, you know what? You're always saying that, but you never do it. But husbands, isn't that exactly the calling of your role? Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church, his bride. What did he do for his bride? Died for her. And by the way, who was the offender? Did Jesus offend the bride? No, he was the perfect. But who initiated the process of forgiveness? The one who had done no wrong. That's your role, man. Husband, suck it up. Even when you're not in the wrong, it's right for you to love. Last thing, the Bible says love is a commitment. God is love. If we keep on loving others, we will stay one in our hearts with God, and he will stay one with us, 1 John 4, 16 says. As mature believers, okay, let's assume that we're mature believers in Christ, then we have to commit to say that the bottom line of love is I will and I want to go deeper in my love relationship with my God and with people around me. Now that I know what love is, what living a life of love looks like, and I know what the definition of love is, will I go there? Will I be obedient to do what God has said I need to do? So let's bring it down, and I'm done. I'm going to give you three things that I want you to do this week. Okay? Homework. Put up or shut up. I didn't come here two and a half hours of a drive to give you information. We want, to sp we want to always move at the speed of implementation, not information. So here's the three things that I want you to do this week. No. Number one, learn how mature love acts and responds. So I want you to dive into this book right here. Are you spending daily time in the Word? Because we believe in the Word of God, but don't forget... The word of God is just part of God. The word of God written, and then there's the word of God living. And the word of God living doesn't reveal himself just in the pages of Scripture, but he lives and moves and has his being in and through you. And you don't get to have a picture of his love until you're in the book of love. And he's, going to, he's just going to reveal things to you this week if you'll just get into the Bible. Okay, so I want you to be in the Bible. If you haven't been in the Bible for a long time, just get in. Start in, just read every day of the week. 
Just for seven days in a row, read 1 Corinthians 13. And let God speak to you. Number two, really simple thing. I want you to do this. If you're a business owner, if you're like me, where return on investment means something to you, this is going to kill you. But it's going to be so simple. And it's going to be so true. I want you to start your day with a daily reminder to love. I want you to pray a simple prayer. Ready? Here it is. God, I just want to remind myself that the most important thing today is to love you and to love every person that you bring in front of me. And if that is all you do at the end of your day and you lay your head down on your pillow to go to bed, you will have lived a life worth living. I didn't get the deal. I didn't get the ROI. But did you love God? Did you love that person in front of you? It will revolutionize your life, your ministry, your church. Last, I want you to practice acting in unselfish, unloving ways. I want you to practice acting in, in unselfish and loving ways. Love is like a muscle. It needs to be developed. Some of us are better at it than others. Some of us are more developed than others. It's okay. But practice makes perfect. When you want to become a great lover, a truly loving person, then you have to start loving people. Just start loving. And it's easy to love those, so start there who love you. Start there. Love on them. I had a grandfather. I used to ask him all the time. I called him grump, and now I'm a grump. I got five. I'm a grandfather five times. Well, I got three walking one due in three weeks and one due in January. I can count them, right? Because it is life, right? So I got five grandchildren. So I used to go to my grump. I said, grump, you never tell Graham you love her. And his response was, she knows. By the way, it's a bad response. She needs to hear it. He needs to hear it. All right, got to finish. Because we have to finish 1 Corinthians 13 with the, everybody finishes it this way, right? We just have to love the love chapter. In this life, we have three lasting qualities, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Why? Why is love the greatest? Because it's going to last forever. See, one day you're going to stand in front of your maker, in front of your creator, in front of your savior. You're going to be in heaven. You're going to be in glory. And when you get there, you're not going to need faith any longer. Because you're going to be in the presence of God. And when you get to heaven, you're not going to need hope. Because you're going to be standing in the presence of hope. You will have experienced your hope. But when you get to heaven, heaven is going to be filled with love. Because God is love and he loved us because we first loved him he who loves first wins you want to be like Jesus love can I pray with you God we so want to love better and we're so not good at it. 
We're good at it conveniently. Help us just to love people. Help us to love you. Help us to do it in the right order. Help us to know that you are a loving father who loves us no matter what we do, when we mess up, when we falter, when we walk away and end up in a pigsty, recognizing what knuckleheads we'd been, that we should have never left you in the first place, knowing that you are standing there with your arms wide open, looking out with binoculars, waiting for our return. And I don't know where people are in this room. Maybe they've been distant. Maybe not so prodigal, but maybe distant. And nobody else might even know it, but they're far from you. They've wandered. And yet, you don't look at them as prodigal. You look at them as your son, your daughter. And you're welcoming that, them back this morning, this last day of June, 2019. You long to have relationship with them. And so if that's where somebody is today, I just want to pray over them. Your, your grace and your love, that you, you're, you're so much more concerned about tomorrow than where they have been. And you are such a forgiving God. Lord, help us to repent of that, that myself mode of life for a period of time and know that we can walk again with you. And Lord, if there's somebody here today that does not know you, doesn't have a, this love relationship, has never experienced this unconditional love has not yet entered into this family of love who really doesn't know a father of love because their father was abusive or they don't have this good picture of a father. Lord, I, hope that, I, I pray over them today too that right now they can know that you are such a different God. You really are a good, good father. And you long to have relationship with us. And if, if that's the need of somebody, I pray that somebody would just come up and talk to Pastor Tim, one of the, one of the leaders here, and, and just really get connected to this faith community, this church. That they can fall into a, a deep relationship with you. God, we love you. Help us now to love others. In Jesus' name, amen.